Welcome to the Teaching in Medicine podcast, where we explore effective teaching of the healthcare providers of tomorrow. I am your host, Dr. Kathleen Timmy. Today, we are lucky to have two guests from the University of Maryland, Dr. Dara Farber and Dr. Kate Donahue. They are both graduates of the University at Buffalo School of Medicine and both attended a combined medicine and pediatrics residency at the University of Maryland. They have since joined faculty there in the divisions of internal medicine and pediatrics, and they both serve as hospitalists in the medicine intermediate care unit and are true innovators in clinical education. Dr. Farber is also an attending pediatrician for the Department of Juvenile Services and a physician builder for the electronic medical record system EPIC. Dr. Donahue is a core educator at the School of Medicine and is pursuing a master's of education in the health professions at Johns Hopkins University. Today, we will focus on their approach to clinical education during the pandemic, and in the next episode, we will explore a fascinating elective that they have created addressing pandemic medicine and quality improvement. Ladies, welcome to the Teaching in Medicine podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Let's jump into clinical education in our current global pandemic. It's such a challenge for every medical institution. I feel like some institutions have pulled trainees completely from high-risk environments. Others are embracing it as an educational opportunity. So what are your thoughts in general about whether or not trainees should be allowed in these more high-risk settings? I think there are positive and negative considerations that go into the decision of whether or not to involve trainees in direct care of COVID patients. On one hand, trying to protect the trainees from high-risk situations as much as possible is an ideal scenario. However, there are unique learning opportunities available in caring for patients during a pandemic. Some hospitals had large surges of patients, which did not allow for providing care to these patients without training assistance. And others had to consider PPE conservation when deciding whether or not to involve residents in the care of their COVID patients. We were fortunate at Maryland to have a relatively contained surge from a patient volume standpoint. And we also had adequate PPE to care for our COVID patients. We also had robust technology support via iPads for all patient rooms and a robot to assist in bedside evaluation of patients. This allowed for significant care to be provided without physically being at the bedside and enabled us to involve trainees in the care of COVID patients without having them at the bedside. So it sounds like, yes, trainees should be allowed, but as long as there's certain safety and precautions in place, which you guys were fortunate enough to have. I think if you, if you have the opportunity to allow them to care for patients in a pandemic, there are definitely learning opportunities, but at the same time, trying to protect them as much as possible. That makes a lot of sense. So what has your institution done to allow residents and fellows to safely rotate in your medical intermediate care unit during the pandemic? So during the pandemic, we had internal medicine senior residents and our medicine subspecialty fellows rotate on the intermediate care unit with us. Um, During the peak of the COVID surge, our unit was converted to a full biocontainment unit, 
We cared for only COVID positive patients. The acuity of these patients were high acuity intermediate care level or low acuity ICU level care. The residents and fellows rotated with us one at a time. They worked one-on-one with a supervising attending. As a whole, all of the care was team-based on the unit. We had nurses and respiratory therapists physically on the biocontainment unit at all times providing direct patient care. And the attendings did a combination of telehealth care via the iPad and did an in-person evaluation of patients at least once per shift. Um, Attendings were also available to be on the unit 24-7 for decompensating patients, and we had 24-7 ICU backup for acute issues. The way that we had the residents and fellows safely rotate in with us is by allowing them to be involved in all aspects of patient care with every attempt made to have them not enter the biocontainment unit unless there was an emergency that the attending was unable to um, contain by themselves. So if there was a patient that was decompensating, attending would go to the bedside first as kind of the most essential person to evaluate the patient. And then if for some reason things escalated and you needed another pair of hands, then you would call on the resident to come. Yeah, the goal was that only if there were multiple decompensating patients at the exact same time, was the only time that the residents or fellows were supposed to come onto the unit. So in terms of like in those situations, were you able to find some ways to teach the residents and teach your trainees about care of decompensating patients, despite them not being at the bedside, perhaps taking advantage of some of the technology that the room was set up with or debriefing afterwards? How did you kind of use that educational opportunity um, to still teach despite them not physically being there? It's a little bit of a different experience when you're the attending in the room at the bedside with a critically ill patient because you can't bring anything in with you. So you don't have a phone, you don't have a landline to the outside, you don't have a computer. So all those resources are gone. So you really need someone on the other side of the unit doors, essentially, to, to help you figure out what's going on, help you triage the patient, reach out to your consultants. So it was sort of a different skill, because that was the role that the resident took. So the resident was sort of taking the role of, almost like a commander. They were sort of running the response in terms of getting anesthesia there, patient needed an airway, getting respiratory therapy there. And then the attending almost functioned more like the frontline soldier who were the person who was physically at the bedside. So it's a little bit of a different skill set, but one that I still think was valuable for the resident. Okay, so when you have the residents there kind of serving in that commander leadership role, are they outside of the patient's actual room or are they still out, out of the biocontainment unit or have more remote access? So they're out of the biocontainment unit. So the way um, our unit was structured is sort of it's at the end of a hallway with all the patient beds around a central nursing station. To enter to the end of the hallway, um, you had to be in full PPE. So once you're in the unit, you have access to all 16 patients, but you don't really have a lot of communication aside from an individual iPad in each patient's room to the outside of the unit. Um, and the residents were right outside the unit in a workroom. And could they see what was going on in the room then, their video? Yeah, so they could they could zoom in by iPad. Great, and then they could kind of make suggestions or let you know anesthesia's on the way and communicate. 
exactly. And they could see the patient's monitor, like all the telemetry monitoring was out there in their bank. So they could see the vital signs and kind of have an idea of what was happening in real time. Great. And then what might you do after that scenario to help, you know, recap what happened, debrief? What, what kind of approach did you have with teaching your learners after they observed an encounter like that? Definitely a debrief. Um, you know, I think that we needed it for them, but also for us. It's really hard to be in one of those situations where communication is so critical um, that you absolutely have to debrief and talk about what went right, what went wrong, um, what actually you thought was happening with the patient. So I'd say that we did that pretty much every time there was some kind of critical event or decompensation, there was a pretty significant debrief with our nurses and the residents and us. I think that it's also important um, to keep in mind from our standpoint that this was a novel situation for us as well. So we were also trying to learn how to navigate this situation where you are essentially isolated inside this biocontainment unit and how is the best way to coordinate care. So I think that the debrief was helpful, um, one, for learning, and also like coming back to us and figuring out how to do things better um, for education and also for patient care. I think it's really powerful to role model that as well. Like this is a situation that's new for you. You might not always interact with the patient in the most sensitive manner or, you know, make the exact right treatment decisions when you do have those limitations and just being able to show your learner that you, there are, there is uncertainty in medicine and there are times where we're not as confident as we usually are and just telling them that it's okay to feel that way. And I think debriefing some of those feelings too can be really helpful. Yeah, they, they definitely observed our personal growth a little bit. <laughs> well, I'm sure they learned a lot from that as well. So are there certain tasks that typically a resident or fellow is allowed to perform, perhaps procedures or other things that were really off limits during this time? They did. So during this time, they did everything involved in patient care except for being in person at the bedside. Um, so a typical day would be interviewing patients via the iPad. Um, participating in rounds with our ICU team, who we rounded with twice a day. Um, they were able to do some aspects of physical exams, so we had specific ways to document, so either what you could observe through the iPad. They also were able to have the nurses do abdominal palpation or look for edema, things like that. And then we had a robot available on the unit that we also could use for patient evaluation that had a stethoscope attached to it. And then otherwise they did things that they would do kind of in their regular day-to-day -day care of patients. They called consults, they communicated with patients, they communicated with families, nurses, and ancillary staff. With regards to procedures, um, the way that the hospital had it set up is that our surgical team did all procedures for patients and our anesthesiologist did all of our airways. So that was something that was in place for the entire hospital system, including attendings, and was not unique to the residents who were rotating with us. In a lot of ways, they had similar 
clinical care and responsibilities to the attendings on the team? Yes, definitely. Um, I have to back up and ask you about this robot with the stethoscope. I can't say that I've ever seen one before. So tell me how that works and are there limitations to the exam that the robot can do? I'm just really fascinated. Tell me more. So the robot is technology that the hospital acquired specifically for the pandemic. It it's essentially more or less a second iPad in that you can get it all the way like to the patient. It can shine a light and look at pupils. It has its own screen that gets a little bit um, closer to the patient um, so that you can ask questions. This was particularly helpful during the day when the nurses needed to be in contact with each other. The consultants needed the iPad to talk to the patient. And there was just a lot of a lot of things going on surrounding the iPad that were very distracting. The robot itself did have a stethoscope. Um, so somebody would have to physically remove the stethoscope from the robot. So someone like a nurse or another physician on the unit would have to take the stethoscope and like put it on the chest. And then you could auscultate the patient. And because it required two people to perform, I would say that we probably didn't use it all that often because the unit was so busy that finding a second person so that you could auscultate the patient was pretty difficult. And so do you have a special device with a screen that you're observing what the robot's doing or does it just hook into a regular computer? Like how did you see what was going on? You could do it via, so we had a separate laptop specific to use the robot, and then you can actually download an app to operate and use the robot from your phone. That is so fascinating. This is kind of a tangent, but I have never examined a patient using a robot before, and I'm assuming there's some sort of a conversation that you need to have with them ahead of time, you know, for your patients that are a little more alert and able to understand what's going on. So how do you explain to a patient who's admitted to your unit that, you know, about all of these absurdities that are going to be happening that maybe they've never experienced before? I think as a whole, our patients were overwhelmingly grateful for the care that they were getting and understanding that the circumstances were unique and different than what they're used to experiencing at a doctor's office or in the hospital. Kind of like you said, it's a lot of patient education. We had wonderful nurses that we worked with who were also able to explain things to patients, explain things to their families, and give them expectations of how their care would look when they were admitted to the hospital with COVID. And going back to rounds, what what were rounds like and how did you, you know, find a way to still teach on rounds despite it not being of your typical format? Yeah, I think rounds are totally different. Um, typically, when we have residents rotate through our unit, they're upper level residents. So we let them totally round on their own and they meet after to kind of run the plan. Um, this was sort of reverse. So oftentimes I would go into the unit to round. And as I would be rounding, I would be talking to them on a walkie talkie or an iPad. And we'd talk about, oh, 
you know, the peak pressures on this patient are really high. What do you want to do with the vent? And then they would tell me over the walkie-talkie and I would change the settings while I was in the room. This is really different. Um, so almost like a total role reversal. I'm like the intern in there, butting around with the vent and they're, they're kind of directing what to do from the outside. And I think that was generally the most effective way um, for the critical care fellows in the residence. And then did you sit down together afterwards? or I, Once I doffed all my PPE at the end, then you would come out and you'd really have a chance to talk. But that's sort of how you do the, the kind of the bedside teaching was remote, but still in real time. So because this is such a unique experience for your learners, did you provide them with any additional training or anything they needed to do before rotating in this environment? So all of our residents got pretty extensive PPE training. So they, in, if there was an emergency, they had a dot and off, um, and we had a lot of support for that. So I think that's probably the most critical thing in terms of a safety perspective. They learned how to use the iPads. Um, they learned about the robot, all those sort of extra technology tools. Provided them with a, a Teams account, Microsoft Teams, and on that was a whole bunch of resources, COVID specific, some of them were ICU specific. Um, and then there were a lot of links to lectures, um, some from the Maryland Critical Care Project, which is a pretty extensive resource that we have at Maryland from our critical care folks. That is, is a huge repository of really great introduction to critical care lectures as well as some that are COVID specific. And when you think about how you normally teach in a clinical environment, how has the pandemic affected your personal approach to clinical teaching? What are you doing differently? What are you um, replacing to what you would normally teach at the bedside? I love walk-rounding. I love teaching residents and medical students physically at the bedside. I like to have them present in the patient's room. Um, and this was really hard and different for me. It really completely changed how I had to do my own workflow um, and how I taught. Um, I think sort of doing more focused time sitting down, almost like you would do if you are someone who likes to sit around, um, do dedicated rounding time with the resident. Um, and then do sort of those altered bedside rounds where the resident is with you by a walkie-talkie or iPad in the room. It was a really different experience, and I found it fairly challenging. I think for me, there was a little bit of a shift in focus that was more strongly focused on interprofessional evaluation of patients and interprofessional interactions. Um, we had respiratory therapists and nurses on the unit 24-7 and being able to effectively communicate with them um, and have them assist you in the care of patients was really paramount um, whether or not you were the attending, you were a resident or a fellow. So I think for me, um, focusing on that aspect of the, the patient care was new and interesting and also a very good learning experience. And what a way to, you know, build an appreciation for our colleagues who are truly at the front of the front lines, right, with the patients at the bedside. It just really makes you realize how essential they are in patient care. And hopefully that's a good lesson for residents and fellows, too, that medicine is a team sport and that we all have something valuable to offer. 
So what would you say has worked well during your rotations? What do you think are some of the best practices you would take away from this experience, maybe recommendations for other institutions that are considering adding learners back into these clinical settings? I I think first having them in the clinical settings is important. I think that obviously there's always a balance between safety and learning. But really, I know some institutions that sort of fully pulled residents and medical students. But I think at the end of the day, COVID isn't going anywhere. Um, So they're going to have to do this at some point, whether it's as a resident or as an attending. They're going to have to take care of these patients. Doing it early at least gives them experience and takes away some of the inherent fear that that comes with being in one of these kind of units. And I think that's important. Yeah, so I think the second part that was really important was having really good technology um, and allowing them to be there, be present, be involved with the patient, and minimize that safety risk. Okay, so we talked about, you know, some of the aspects that worked well. What are some of the barriers to successful learning in this environment? So one of the major barriers was the resident's fear that they would come into the unit with because they're in a new role and in a new really scary environment. So we would try really early to mitigate that fear because it was hard for them to learn when they're so nervous. Um, So we would talk to them about their role, how we were going to protect them on the unit, and then walk them through their PPE, where to find it, how to put it on, what would happen if there was an emergency and they needed to enter the unit. And speaking of fear and safety, do you think there's a way to safely bring medical students into this environment, or is the risk just not worth the educational reward? I think that you can safely bring them in, but I don't think I would advocate for them physically entering a unit ever. I think that remote, there's plenty of really good ways to bring them in remotely, but the risk of having them on a biocontainment unit, I don't think that that outweighs the benefit. I think that if they're able to socially distance, um, that they can participate in team-based learning like they did before the pandemic. Um, That was one of our rate-limiting factors in figuring out how many people we could physically have in our office at one time while maintaining social distance. Um, We also had some other ways for students to get involved in the care of COVID patients Um, during the the first surge of the pandemic. um, We had students who actually volunteered to bring iPads to the unit, so they were able to assist in that fashion. And then one of our colleagues actually used the robot to have a Zoom telehealth patient encounter with the students on the call with him. Um, So I do think that there are unique ways to definitely get them involved in patient care, but would agree with Kate that I don't think that the benefits would be greater than the risk of having them on the actual biocontainment unit. Yeah, that makes sense. There's so many educational opportunities from, you know, how do you do telemedicine and uh, that students could easily get involved in. And I would just encourage institutions to really think outside the box and think about all of the other learning opportunities that take place away from the bedside. So one question that I had is, 
you know, normally you can assess your learners at the bedside, get a sense of their physical exam skills, their patient interactions. How do you ensure that learners are meeting objectives when you have less time with them at the bedside? I think that with the unique circumstances related to caring for patients in a pandemic that you have to modify a bit from your classic milestone objectives that we're usually evaluating learners based on. Um, I think that the, the recap and the debriefing with the residents after critical patient situations was very important in their learning and also shifting the objectives of their learning to those that were more relevant to the pandemic. Um, it was also important for us to set the goals and expectations of the rotation to be pretty clear before the residents came to the unit, um, knowing that they would not be expected or allowed to evaluate patients in person was important and then focusing their learning and evaluation on those interprofessional interactions and how they are able to um, interact without physically being at the bedside. I also think the ways in which we utilize technology actually gave us more time to see them interact with other people. So every iPad interaction with a nurse, with a family member, with a patient, I was either on the other side of the iPad hearing it or in the room with them and could kind of overhear. So it was a lot more opportunities for working with a resident one-on-one in those um, interpersonal interactions, which was actually really nice. And are you at the point where you've had enough learners rotate through that you've received feedback on what they think about the experience or are we not quite there yet? Yeah, we do have feedback. Um, they all filled out a survey at the end of their rotation. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head exactly how many learners it was. I want to say probably around 20 um, that we had rotate through one at a time. And the feedback was actually pretty good. They definitely liked using the technology. And I think they were all really eager to be involved in the care of these patients, especially the upper level residents and the fellows. I think they felt like a sense of duty to be involved, um, and this helped fulfill that sense of duty while keeping them safe. Were there any constructive comments that might be helpful for other programs, things that you might consider doing differently? Yeah, the first resident that we had, um, we immediately after she came through really beefed up our orientation in terms of what written expectations, which we had, but we really developed them out to make her role crystal clear. I think that that was really important. And she had a few moments of, I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to do here because I can't go in. Um, So so being really clear in the upfront roles, I think is important. Well, thank you so much for taking us through your approach to clinical education. Is there anything that I'm missing or any other pearls or tips that you might have for programs who are considering doing this for the first time? I would say overall, it was a very positive experience, both for us and our learners. And I would encourage other programs to think outside the box of ways that you can get your trainees safely involved in the care of patients during the pandemic, because they do want to be involved and they are interested in the care. 
All right. Well, Dr. Farber, Dr. Donahue, thank you so much for taking the time to explain your approach to clinical education during the pandemic. And I look forward to having you back where we will discuss opportunities for other learners through a pandemic elective. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out part two of my interview with Drs. Donahue and Farber in two weeks, where we discuss the pandemic medicine virtual elective that they have created. Don't forget to like our page on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Teaching in Med.